Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. We're talking about rising above. At what God causes the church to rise above culture. It is so easy, if we're not careful, we can be swept away by culture. We can compromise with culture. We can be taken under by the culture. But God calls us to rise above. And so this theme kind of runs through the book, through the Revelations, and especially when he writes these churches, seven churches in Revelations 2 and 3, he says, to him who overcomes, I will. And so we are talking about how to be an overcomer, how to rise above those things that face us. And today we're going to look at a very interesting church by the name of Smyrna. So, uh, and you'll find out all about it in just a few moments. How many have ever been through a trial or a test? Let me see your hand. Okay, about all of us. I think we've all been there. We've all done that. And, and, and so I start out that way to say this is going to be a very relevant message for everybody in the house today because we're going to face trials. We're going to face tests. We're going to go through hardships. We're going to face difficulties and challenges along the way. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He said, do not become unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In other words, it's a part of our destiny, part of what God has called us to. It's a part of the Christian life. Trials and tests, they're going to come, and we're going to face it. He said that in 1 Thessalonians. In Philippians 1.29, he says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. So we're called to believe on him, but with that will come suffering. It will come persecution. It will come testing and trials. In fact, I will tell you, trials and tests comes in all kinds of shapes and colors and sizes, and they will hit every single one of us at some time along the way. Uh, Sometimes it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe you've lost a husband or a wife. It's a tough one. Parent. Child, son, or daughter, boy, those are probably some of the most difficult trials a person could ever face in their life. Sometimes it's illness in your own body, and you get sick, and you don't understand why, and you hear the doctor's report and diagnoses, and, 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 and that, that's, that can be a real trial and a real test because it affects everything in our lives, and we get wrapped up in that, and, and sometimes a betrayal of a friend, and they'll turn against you, or, or a separation, or a divorce, or a struggle in the family, or, or financial reversal, and you lose your job, and, or you can't pay your bills, and you just get in debt, and you get, it starts snowballing on you and covering you up, and, and these are all trials and tests that come our way from time to time throughout our life. But I want to tell you, every one of these things can have God's handprint all over it. We don't want to think of it in those terms, but as we study this church today, I think you're going to learn a whole lot about what it means and how God works through that. And so let's stand together. Let's look at Revelation 2. Revelation 2. And uh, we're going to talk about how we rise above these trials, how we rise above those tests that come our way. And we'll look at a church called Smyrna. And so let's begin with verse number 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Now, it's interesting, in in these seven letters to these churches, uh, each one, he describes Jesus in a different way. 
And he's describing Jesus by the name the church needed to know. And they needed to know if they're going through trials and tests that Jesus was dead, but he's alive. Okay? I know your affliction and your poverty, yet you are rich. Poor uh, in terms of this world's age, but rich in Christ. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, who are of the synagogue of Satan. You're going to see that Smyrna was right in the heart of satanic activity. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you a crown of life. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he who overcomes, who rises above, will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is going to be a great word of encouragement and comfort to you today. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Open it up to our hearts and our minds. May we receive what you have for us. I pray for those who are going through it right now that this will encourage them and lift them up as their faith grows this morning as they hear the word of God. And anoint me as I preach. I need your help. We ask it all in your holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them you're going to make it, and then you may be seated. Smyrna was a city about 35 miles north of Ephesus, and I think you can see it right there on the map. And uh, it, it, it was a wealthy seaport city, right on a, a very strategic region, as most of the churches Paul visited or ministered at were very strategic locations. The interesting thing about Smyrna, it's the only time this city is mentioned in the Word of God. You don't see it in the book of Acts. You don't see it when they're doing their missionary crusades. You don't see it in any of the letters from the Apostle Paul. It's the only time you will hear the church mentioned at all is found right here in Revelation chapter 2. It probably started as an overflow of the revival that was in Ephesus. Now, remember last week you learned that Ephesus was the church that had lost that love and feeling. He said, I have this against you. You've lost your first love. It's not like it used to be. The romance isn't there anymore. Now, when John writes his letter, it is three generations after the church in Ephesus is founded. Remember in Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to Ephesus. There is a great revival that takes place there. There are people that are saved. There are demons that are cast out. The revival is so great. Everybody brought their witchcraft and sorcery books. They put them in the center of town. They lit them on fire and there was a great bonfire that went off. And I mean, it was just an exciting revival. The apostles were called there. They laid hands on people. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a mighty move of God. But by the time two generations later that that John writes the church at Ephesus he says you've left your first love we've got to be very intentional about reaching the next generation we've got to be very intentional about telling the stories of the Lord Jesus Christ so they can know that we serve a God of power and a God of might Got to be very generational in our thinking, and we see that from this church already that have kind of lost that revival feel and fervency. But probably out of this, Smyrna is founded 35 miles away from Ephesus. It probably just an overflow of that great revival that kind of went to the region around there. We also know that, that from the text and, and history that F, uh, Smyrna was a very wicked city. 
It's the seat of Satan. It's where satanic activity originates out of. And there's going to be much persecution of the church. But, but here's what I want to tell you. In the midst of the darkest environment, God has a people, God has a church who will be a light to that region, a light to that area. And, and he has nothing but commendation for the church at Smyrna. In fact, in these seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, five of them will have some kind of rebuke. There will be a con, uh, uh, condemnation or a rebuke of what they were doing at the time and yet Smyrna it's all praise it's a glowing report because even in the midst of trial they were rising up and standing firm the word Smyrna is uh, taken from the word myrrh you, you, you're familiar with the word myrrh. Uh, they brought to Jesus Christ gold frankincense and myrrh you remember when Christ is first born remember when Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross the Bible said the soldiers came and they offered him myrrh to drink. Now when you think about myrrh, myrrh speaks of pain and suffering. And so they wanted to give him this uh, uh, kind of an, anesthesia or anesthetic. Now they didn't want to put him to sleep, but just to help something to numb the pain. And so they were going to give him that myrrh to drink. He refused it. He would not drink it because he had to go through all the pain and all the suffering for our sins. And then when they took him down off the cross, the Bible said when they went to anoint his body, they anointed him with myrrh and aloes. And so when you hear the word myrrh, you think about suffering. You think about pain because it's very instrumental in, the, in Jesus Christ's death. Now, to get myrrh to give off a fragrance, the more you crushed the myrrh, the more the sweet fragrance it gave off. And this little church in the heart of the seat of Satan was about to be crushed. But the more they would crush that church, the more they would be persecuted, the more sweet aroma of praise and worship to God that church was giving off. An amazing church that we're looking at today. In AD 64, Nero is the emperor of Rome, and he's going to launch the first of what we know now as 10 series of persecution. There will be 10 Roman emperors that follow, that, that nine that follow Nero, and it's going to be a time of massive persecution in the early church like we've never seen before. And uh, Christians will be burned at the stake, they'll be thrown at the lions, they'll be in the Colosseums, they'll be sawed in two, they'll be stoned to death. There is massive, they'll be lit up like torches lining up the city of Rome, and it's just a mass persecution is going to come. John writes this letter to the church. Remember, John's the oldest apostle. He's in exile on the Isle of Patmos, and he writes these letters to go out to the churches. And, uh, and so it's about 90 AD, so it's after the reign of Nero, probably about the reign of the second emperor that comes along. And so there's going to be a series of 10 persecutions to follow, or 10 different emperors. What does he tell the church of Smyrna? I know you're going to be persecuted for 10 days, but don't be afraid going to come to an end one day and Constantine would bring an end to the persecution that the early church was facing not only would they be thrown into prison as we learn from verse 10 he says Satan is going to throw some of you into prison but they are also going to be martyred for their faith but what the Lord says to the church of Smyrna about their suffering and their persecution, yet he gives them encouragement. This is written to encourage that church. Now, we raised our hand all at the beginning. All of us go through trials, and all of us go through tests. So I want you to lean in. I want you to listen very carefully, because this is going to be a word of encouragement and strength your faith today. And so I'm excited about the message. So let's look at it together. What do we do? How do we respond in the face of trials? How do we respond when tests come our way? 
three things I want to share with you. First of all, number one, welcome it. Everybody say welcome it. Some of you didn't say that because you don't welcome trials. We don't like trials. We don't like tests. In fact, in fact, that's the, probably the hardest thing for us to deal with is when a trial or test comes our way. But I'm going to give you scripture for it. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Look, if you would, at verse number 2. Consider it pure joy. Right? Be happy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That doesn't make sense. Joyful in trials? Consider it all joy? It goes on to say, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. You know, we, we, we look at the commands in the word of God. You know, the, the one for me is really, there's a lot of tough ones in there for us to do, right? There's, there's these things that God calls us to do, and they're tough. Like the one says, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. That's one we like to, if we could, just take that out of the Bible. Okay, I don't want to do that, Lord. You know, I... Don't like my enemies. And I think this is one of those kinds of verses we might want to take out of the Bible. Consider it all joy when you fall into trials and tests. Lord, but I don't like trials and tests. This makes me mad. This makes me angry and sad. And we do anything but embrace it. And it's kind of like that unwelcome guest who comes to your house and knocks in the middle of the night. And you don't like it because it's the middle of the night. It's interrupting your sleep. You need your rest. And you're groggy. And you're, you're, you're in your underwear. And you got to go answer the door. And... And this guest is there, but because he's your guest, you let him in nonetheless. Listen, when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords knocks on our life and knocks on our heart with a trial or test, sometimes it comes like an unwelcome guest, but nonetheless, the Bible says, consider it pure joy, open up the door and let it in because God wants to do something special and unique in your life. And if you have perseverance and you have patience, he will make you complete and perfect you. That's why we can consider it all joy. Uh, Philippians 4.2, rejoice in the Lord. Few of you know that verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say it, rejoice. Doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when things are going good. Always rejoice in the Lord. And you don't do it because you feel like it. Because the bottom line is, when we're going through a trial or a test, that's the time we don't feel like rejoicing. We don't feel like praising the Lord. We don't feel like being happy or, or, or being and all these kind of things because I don't feel like it. But faith goes beyond feelings. Feeling says, I operate by what's going on around me. Faith goes, I will trust in God without empirical evidence that, God, you're at work right now. That's faith. You know, anybody can rejoice when the trial's over. When the test finishes and we come through it and we're done with it and we're over, boy, we're all happy, glad that's over with, and then we rejoice. That doesn't take any faith. But when I'm in the midst of the trial, when it comes my way, when I face the persecution, when I face the adversity, and I still can rejoice, that takes faith. Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. And so I don't see clearly because it's dark and the storm's raging and I don't know what's going on all around me, but I still rejoice because I can trust in the Lord. That's real faith. The world says, let me see it first, and then I'll believe. In Mark 
chapter 15, 32, they're, they're mocking Christ. He's hanging on the cross, bleeding to death. And you know he's made these claims to be the son of God and Messiah. And so they come up and they mock him and they say, let this Christ, the king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. The world says, if, you, if I see it first, then I'll believe it. But Christianity is all about, I believe it first, and then I'll see it. That's faith. It's faith. And that's why it takes faith to rejoice, even in the midst of trying and testing that comes our way. Faith says, like Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Faith enables us to count it all joy, even in the midst of trials. So the first thing we need to keep in mind is welcome it. Open up the door. God's trying to do something. The second thing that we need to get our handle on this morning is don't be afraid of it. Don't fear it. Don't panic when it comes. And he says that in verse number 10 in our text. Do not be afraid. Now listen to me. God does not promise there won't be suffering. In fact, he tells us, be ready, it's going to come. He does not even promise an end or relief to the suffering or trial we are going through. In fact, he tells the church of Smyrna, you're going to see more persecution. Right now, Satan's throwing you into prison, but one day they're going to kill you. Right? As Christians, we are not guaranteed an easy road. John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. It's going to come. Count on it. But he goes on to say, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He's saying, trust in me. I've been there, done that, and I will bring you through. Now, let's look at verse 10. I want to teach you just a little bit this morning about trials and tests and persecutions. I can't give you a whole theological background of why we suffer. I think a lot of the pain and suffering we just bring on ourselves because we make stupid mistakes and we sin and we get out of the will of God and we make a mess of our life and then we say, oh, you know, what's going on now? Well, uh, some of that's self-induced. But I I do want to say Satan here is attributed to attacking the church of Smyrna. Look at verse number 10. Uh, Right there. Do not be afraid. That's where he says don't fear. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you the devil will put some of you into prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution 10 days. Be faithful. Now, we know that it was Roman guards, Roman soldiers who put the Christians into prison. But John says it's the devil. The devil was behind it. The devil was behind the attack on the church. And yet even the devil, though he was behind it, we always got to understand God allowed it. There is nothing that happens in your life that catches God by surprise that God doesn't know about and those things that seem out of our control and it seems like a direct attack from the enemy, I will tell you, God knows, he sees all that has happened. It was foreordained before time. It's not he's looking down, oh, Bob's going through it. That one caught me by surprise. I didn't see that one coming. God knows it all, and God even allows it, even though he allows Satan to attack, to test us for a reason and for a purpose. He wants us to know that even though Satan may throw us into prison, 
because God knows and sees he is with us through the entire time. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll never turn my back on you, and I will be with you every single step of the way because God will not forsake us in the middle of the trial. He brings us through the testing pure in character than when we even entered into that prison. Satan will lock you up. But when you come out, you'll be pure, tried by fire, refined as gold. Uh, yeah, I want to tell you, in some ways, you know, we, we give the devil way too much credit. He's pretty stupid. Pretty dumb. He kind of reminds me, and, and I like Barney, so don't, don't get on to me. I don't, but it kind of reminds me of Barney Fife. Remember Barney had that gun? He's all trying to get the gun out. He had that one bullet in his pocket. He's dropping it, can't pick it up, puts it in the gun. And, and at some point or another, he's going to shoot his foot. The devil's kind of like that. He is always shooting himself in the foot because what he does is he locks us and throws us into prison. But in doing that, he is shooting himself in the foot because when the believer comes out, he comes out stronger, uh, purer, better for the experience, uh, raised up by God, completed, matured in every facet, every step of the way. So what the devil meant to destroy us, God takes it and turns around for his own good and makes us better believers and followers in him. And so the bottom line is Psalm 37, verse 7, rest in the Lord. That word can be translated trust in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Don't be afraid of your tormentors. Rest your case on the throne of God's mercy and God's grace. They had nothing to fear because persecution could never rob them of the priceless eternal blessing that we have in Christ Jesus right now and for all eternity. God's in complete control. In this text, he even sets limits or to the persecution they would suffer. He said persecution is going to come on you guys for 10 days, then it's going to stop, and I will bring you through. Any affliction God allows to come our way is temporary. Now, I know when we're in the middle of it, it seems like it's never going to end. When you lose a loved one, you think, man, I'm never going to get over this. Life will never be the same, and it's hard. When you go through a test, a reversal, you get, you, the bills are just so high, you can't begin to even climb your way out of it. You think, I'll never get out of debt. I'll never get these bills paid off. I'll struggle week to week to make it. I'll never be able to retire. I have to work till I'm 105. And you, you know, this fear kind of grips us and overwhelms us. And, and, and yet, he says it's going to last 10 days. It's like the waves. When those trials come, it's like the waves of the sea or the tide that come in. And it seems like the waves just keep coming and coming, and then God says, enough! And then it starts to pull back and recede at the mighty hand of God. Uh, I, I got the cutest granddaughter in the entire world. Her name is Ray. Some of you may disagree with me. You may think yours is the greatest, but she's three years old, blonde hair, blue eyes, just a little doll, and she's as smart as a whip. She's just like her grandfather. <laughs> Not really. It's probably a good thing. But uh, we, we take them to the beach, and, and there's a little beach near where we live, and it's on the river. It's not, this is actually a little sand area on the river, and we take the kids, and I'm just killing time with them, and we're out there, and Ray will get out, and she'll wait out in the water. But every time a boat comes by, and those motor boats are flying by there because they're on their fishing tournaments, and they're flying by, and the waves start rolling in, the wake from the boat rolls in, 
she sees the wake coming, and she says, oh, pop, 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 and she goes running up to shore. It's kind of a little game now, because she's got it now. And she runs so far, and she turns around, and she knows exactly where the wave is going to stop. And then they quit coming, and they quit breaking, and eventually she gets back out in the water again, Okay? That's the way it is with our trials and tests. Sometimes we just think it's never going to come. It's overwhelming. Am I ever going to get through this? But God says, yes, there is an end in sight. They are temporary, and I am with you every step of the way. So he says, don't be afraid of the trials. It's going to last 10 days. There's, there's an end to them. The Bible describes Satan in 1 Peter as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's a very colorful phrase there, a roaring lion. How many know a roar can't hurt you? His claws can, his jaws can, his teeth can obviously kill you, but he goes about like a roaring lion. Why does the lion roar? The lion roars to intimidate its prey. And when he roars, everybody goes, all the animals go into a panic, and they scatter, and they start running all over the place. They get disoriented. They, 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 they're afraid. They're, they're, they're frightened because a lion is in the area. He's given off that roar. You'd think a lion would not do that. You'd think he wouldn't tip his hand, but he goes about like a roaring lion. The enemy runs and, and gets all in, the, in, a, in a scurry, and, and the lion is able to pounce on those who may go in the wrong direction or run the wrong way, and he takes down his prey. Okay? The enemy roars to induce panic. And what he tries to do with a trial and test is that is sometimes his roar, and it's meant to intimidate us. It was meant to intimidate the church at Smyrna. But he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am with you. They may throw you into prison. It's only going to last 10 days. Uh, I am he who is dead, and I am alive again. And if they killed me, I'll get you through this thing. Wow. Remember, if God okayed it first, he reckoned you were able to handle it or cope with it. If God allows it, he knows how much you can handle. He won't put more on us than we can bear, more on us we can handle. And as soon as the lion roars in a trial, remember this also, and this takes me to my third point. God has allowed every trial for a purpose. A purpose. There's a, there's a reason behind it. We may not understand it at the time, but there is a greater person, a purpose. I want you to look at verse number nine again. He says to the church of Smyrna, I know your affliction and poverty. I know. Now, let's be honest. One of the hardest things that happens in our own personal experience is when I go through a trial, I feel like often I'm all alone. You ever gone through a trial so intense you say no one's going to understand? No one knows how I feel. I can explain it. I can describe it. I can try to talk to someone else about it. But no one really knows what I'm going through right now. Jesus writes this church and he says, I know your poverty. I know your affliction. I know what you're going through because I've been there and done that. Why? Because he says, I'm he that was dead, and I am he that is alive again. If they beat me, if they scourge me, if they hung me on the cross, if they mock me, if they spat on me, if they put a crown of thorns on my head, there is nothing worse that they can do to you that I haven't already gone through myself. He said, you know what? I'm alive, and you're going to make it too. Wow. What a great, encouraging word. The word no, in the Greek language there, there's two words for no. One is gnosko, which means to know with a head knowledge. And this, the word used here is oida, O-I-D-A. And it means to know by experience. 
And this is the word John uses here. I know, because I've been there myself. Listen to Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. I know, I know. Not only can he sympathize with us, but he can also give us the victory. Because he says, I was dead, but now I'm alive. So what, what are the purposes? If, if there's a purpose for our suffering, what are some of the reasons we suffer? I want to give you three, and you may want to jot this down on the note portion of your, note portion of your outline this morning. The first is simply this, to know Christ better. To know Christ better. God allows trials and tests, so we want to know him better. Um, have you ever, as a kid, you've rode your bike, and you had a wreck, and you skinned up your knee, Right? It is bleeding, and it's hurting really bad. What do you do? You run to mom. You don't usually run to dad. Dad's there, but dad's going to say, quit crying, straighten up, you'll make it. Been there, done that. Well, what's mom do? Mom holds you real close. She kisses your boo-boo, as messy as it may be, and says, it's going to be all right. I'm right here. She gets that little ointment, puts it all over it, and makes it feel good, and rubs it in, and then puts the Band-Aid all over it so you can show everybody your Band-Aid, and it's got Superman on the Band-Aid or whoever it is, and you're better, and you get really close to mom. Trials and tests have that same effect on us. When I go through a trial, it drives me right back into the arms of Jesus Christ. And what's he do? He kisses my hurt, puts his arms around me, hugs me real close, says, I know, I know, I'm right here with you, not going to leave you. You see, when everything's going well, sometimes we forget about Jesus, we forget about God, we're just kind of trucking through life, doing our own thing, but that trial drives me to my knees, drives me to relationship, and in some way, I share in the sufferings of Christ, and he shares in my sufferings, and so I get really, really close to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I begin to know him in a new way like I've never seen or known him before. Hmm. Listen to this verse, Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Is that what we all want? Do we really want to know Christ? And the power of his resurrection. And we want to stop the verse right there. Man, I want to know all about your power. And he goes on to say, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. That's the part we'd like to cut out, but it's in those sufferings we get really close to Jesus. Second reason is that God will use trials and tests to conform us into his image to make us like him. That's why he says rejoice when they come your way. Turn to Romans chapter eight, very familiar passage of scripture. Romans chapter eight, look if you would at verse number 28. And we know that in, let's try it again. Do we have it up there? Yes, I think we have it. Read along with me. And we know that in all things, good things, trials, tests, bam, all things work for good. To them who love the Lord, to those who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now listen to me. In the all things, in the trials and tests, 
God uses that to conform us into his image, to the image of his son. Now listen to me. It says, God predestined and foreknew that all this would happen to you. He know, his ultimate purpose, his ultimate knowledge is to make us like him. God's plan for every single child of God, God's plan before the foundation of the earth, God's predestined plan for every single believer is that we be like Jesus. I've predestined this for your life. I've foreordained this for your life. I foreknew, foreknew that one day you would be like me. So what does he say in verse 28? I use the all thing to make you like me to fulfill the purpose for which you were called. That's exactly what that verse means. God's plan for every child of God is that we be like him. And he uses the all things to accomplish that purpose. And it includes trials and tests. Turn to James. I want to go, go back to James real quickly. Look if you would at James chapter one again. I read it earlier. Let me read it again. James 1. Here it is. James 1. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, the word perseverance is used 32 times in the New Testament. It either is translated patience or perseverance, uh, depending on which version you read at the time. Perseverance must finish its work. So perseverance is not the end goal. There's another work that it leads us into. So perseverance is the vehicle by which God accomplishes purpose in our life. That so will finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete. Because I'm being made like Jesus, not lacking anything. So the trial, verse number two, is what God allows. Patience, perseverance is the vehicle that gets us to the real end goal that we may be like Jesus. And then what does he add on the end? Not lacking anything. Because I'm going to tell you, when you got Jesus, you got everything. Money doesn't matter, stuff doesn't matter, things don't matter, nothing else matters. I find my contentment, my joy, my peace in Jesus Christ, in him alone. It's, it's like we come to the place of the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want for nothing. And so those trials and tests are used by God, are part of his plan and part of his purpose to make us like him. That's why he says, count it all joy. It's okay. Rejoice. I'm doing something in your life. Let it have its perfect work in you. Wow. The third thing is to glorify God. It's in trials and tests that I think we really, when we're tried in the fire, it's, we, it's in those times we can bring the most glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse number 12. I want you to just, dear friends, do not be surprised at painful trials. Peter writes about it, James writes about it, John wrote about it to the church of Smyrna. They're coming, guys. 
you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Isn't that what we all do? It's kind of the why me, Lord, thing. Man, this is really strange. No, it's not. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. There's that sharing with him, drawing closer to him. Listen to it. Now it goes on. That you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What happens is when I'm in the middle of the trial, I'm in the middle of the test, and others watch and begin to see how I can still rejoice, ultimately, I am bringing glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to say, you know what? If that can happen to you and you can still love Jesus, man, I'm all in. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me about how he brought you through. Tell me about what he did in your life. I want to know all about this Jesus whom you worship and serve, and indirectly, we bring glory to God. That's why it says, let your good works shine before men, that they may what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. What other good works are there but to make it through the trial and the test and the tribulation and come out smiling and praising and glorifying God and saying, God, though you slay me, I'm still trusting in you. I still believe. I still put my hope in you. And that is a testimony that brings glory to the rest of the world. Hallelujah. Rise above. Look what he says. Go back to our text. Verse number 10. I want to read it to you again. It says, be faithful, uh, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will do what? Give you a crown of life. If you die, it's okay. Got a crown of life for you. It's everlasting life. Nobody can take that from you. Very last phrase of verse 11, he says, he who overcomes, who rises above, will not be hurt at all by the second death. Yes, you might be hurt by the first death, but you'll never be thrown into the lake of fire. You'll never be separated from God. You'll never go through that second death because you'll have everlasting life. You'll have that crown of life, and you will go on and on with the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if you're martyred, you receive everlasting life. You're ushered into his glory. All the glory of everlasting life stands in contrast to any trials, any tests we may face in our lives. There was a story of a king who was encountered a Christian, and of course he was wanted him to recant, give it all up, and worship the Roman emperor and turn away from the Lord. So he makes this statement. He says, "If you'll give up Christ, if you don't give up Christ, I'm going to banish you and kick you out of the kingdom, and you'll have to leave all and depart from this land." And the Christian smiled and looked back, says, "You can't banish me from Christ." because he's the one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and so I can never leave his presence. King got madder, got angrier, said, well, I'll confiscate all your property and I'll take everything you own. To which the Christian responded, my treasures are laid up on high, therefore you cannot touch them. Finally, the king got madder and madder, and he says, okay, then I will kill you. To which the believer said, I've been dead with Christ through these last 40 years. My life is hid in Christ in God, and you cannot touch it. Finally, the king, in exasperation, threw up his hands. What, what can I do with such fanatics? I want to tell you, oh, to be a fanatic like that for the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, to get to the point in our life where Jesus Christ is all that matters. Hallelujah. To hear Jesus say, well done, now good and faithful servant. Listen, church, we are going to be victorious. We are the victorious bride of Christ. In fact, we are even more than conquerors. We come out with more than we started with in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this reflects back to Jesus, who starts out this letter by saying, you know what, church? Listen to me. 
I am he that was dead, but now I am alive. So listen to me. Don't be afraid. Put your trust, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what you're going through. Because Jesus says, I know. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. And I'll give you a crown of life. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.